Romans 12. Look at verses 6 through 8. We'll set the stage where this is the passage we've been studying. Romans 12, beginning in verse 6. God's word says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That last gift of God's Spirit is what is before us this morning. The one who does acts of mercy, may they be done with cheerfulness. Can you remember a time in your life when you were really vulnerable? Maybe you were discouraged, anxious, lonely, in pain. Maybe you felt helpless, hopeless. Did someone come to your side and offer you compassionate care, love, or help? And if that happened, how did that make you feel ultimately when someone reached out to you in your deep distress? Or maybe, maybe you were in that situation and and no one reached out to you, and you were doing this by yourself, and it made it worse that no one was there. How does, it, how does it feel when you're in your desperate need and no one is there to walk by your side? Now, if you've been through that latter circumstance where no one was there in the midst of your deepest distress, can you imagine how it would have felt if someone had come to your aid in the midst of that, if, if someone would have helped to bear your burden, if, if someone showed that they cared for you, how much difference would it have made if they walked with you through your sorrows? Our subject matter this morning is so vitally important because we all face times of difficulty in varying degrees. No one in this life is exempt from these times of distress, anxiety, depression, loneliness, heartache. No one is exempt. We all meet that time. And you and I have the opportunity to be ministers of God's mercy. Those who come to people and tangibly demonstrate that there are people who care and will walk with them. The mercy that we consider this morning is not one of many characteristics of our Heavenly Father. This characteristic is woven into everything that He is and everything that He does. God, our Heavenly Father, is a merciful, compassionate God. I grew up with my dad constantly telling me that I was a chip off the old block. And uh, 
I definitely demonstrate the expression that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Some examples of that is how consistent my father is and how consistent that has made me doing the same things the same ways. How reiterative I am. Every time my father would drop me off somewhere, he would say something to these uh, to, to this effect, you know, honor your father and your mother. Remember, you represent the Clarks. Something to that effect. It was, it was consistent. Um, now, I don't say those same exact words to my children, but what they hear is constant. It's just a, a, a reiterative. It's just one of the things that I picked up from my dad. As God's children, we will be reflective of who He is. Because we bear His image and we bear His name. This expression at the end of verse 8, the one who does acts of mercy, he should do it with cheerfulness. I don't think that's the best translation. And the reason I say that is, it almost feels like you you go and you do this thing. And I think too often in religious circles... You know, we have this list of things that we do, and so we have this checklist. You know, have I, have I read my Bible? Have I prayed? Have I done something nice for someone else? <laughs> it's like, do these acts of mercy. And, and I don't think that that's the concept exactly that God is trying to convey. The New American Standard renders it this way, he who shows mercy, he should do it with cheerfulness. The literal reading of this in the Greek is the one who mercies the one who mercies. That is a much different concept in my assessment than doing acts of mercy. The one who mercies. The one who mercies is one that, that has received mercy. Who's maybe even overwhelmed by the mercy received. Whose thought, word, and deed is impacted by the fact that we've received mercy. And then as a result of that overflooding of our soul with God's mercy, it spills out and other people are then contaminated by that mercy. They're impacted by that mercy. I think that's the concept that we see is that God floods mercy into our lives so much so that it spills over and those mercies in thought, word, and deed impact the lives of others. Those who are truly show mercy are those who have experienced God's mercy. Those who truly show mercy are those who have experienced God's mercy. Those who have, who have come to God through Jesus Christ have tasted the goodness, kindness, patience, and love of God. And we are impressed. And to state it better, we are in awe. We are in awe of a God who loves us knowing everything about us. We find it hard, often, to love ourselves. Sometimes we love ourselves too much. Many times we love ourselves too little. God loves us unendingly. 
without interruption. Every moment without qualification. This is who he is. This is what he has done for all those who have come to him through Jesus Christ. We have received this mercy and we have found Jesus to be meek just as he said. I'd like you to listen to these words from Dane Ortland uh, from a book called or entitled Gentle and Lowly. A couple of sections. Speaking of Jesus, he is meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Open, humble, merciful. In another section, Ortland writes, for the penitent, his heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who He is. It is His heart. He can't ungentle Himself toward His own any more than you or I can change our eye color. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is relentless in His displays of mercy. I'd like that one to just wash over you for a second. The end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, pursue me, all the days of my life. And the fleshing out of that is the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. He relentlessly pursues His own. He doesn't give up. He will not stop. He has purchased you for Himself. He's relentless in His displays of mercy. All of us that are believers, all of us who know God through Jesus Christ, are called to demonstrate mercy. Some are extraordinarily gifted by God to be channels of mercy. That's the concept here. These gifts of grace to, from one degree to another. You see that in verse 3. Demonstrated. As we read through the Bible, we're constantly impressed by God's faithful mercy. And so that's what our task will be for a few moments this morning is to see in Scripture demonstrations of God's faithful mercy most closely in the person of Jesus Christ. So first of all, in our study this morning, God's faithful mercy on display. 
God's faithful mercy on display. When you follow the Gospels and you're following Jesus Christ through the Gospels, we see His mercy on display toward all manner of people. You can see His mercy described as uh, toward those who are diseased. You can see this expression of mercy in that uh, people would, would come to Him with leprosy. Others are running and shunning these leprous people. And Jesus not only allows them in His presence, not only does He not run in the other direction, not only does He not say to them, hey, you should be saying unclean, unclean. Jesus draws near to them and He actually touches them. Everyone else wants nothing to do with them. Jesus in His mercy touches those who are diseased. In His mercy, He demonstrates His ability to help those who are possessed by demons. I want to draw your attention just in your mind to Mark chapter 5. Jesus came into a region. It was a Gentile region. And the, the, the people were afraid of this one guy. When Jesus got off the boat and onto the shore, this one guy comes over and starts to ask for some help. This is the one that they had... Uh, kind of relegated to the tombs. They tried many times to bind him with chains, and the chains were not strong enough to hold uh, his strength, so he would break the chains apart. And this one comes to Jesus, seeking mercy. And lo and behold, this one who everyone despised, Jesus displayed his mercy and cast the demons out of this man. It was such... Uh, an astonishing reality that the people there, rather than really rejoicing, were in fear of Him. Because they were afraid of this guy that was bound with chains, chains and breaking them off regularly. And this new guy coming onto the shore overcame this one that they're afraid of. So now you've got this, this utter awe. And they basically said, can you please leave us? <laughs> Can you get out of here? We want nothing to do with you. Jesus' mercy was demonstrated in that He cared for this one who was in deep distress that everyone wanted away from their presence and Jesus drew near to Him. His mercy is demonstrated again and again. Take a look now at a passage in Luke. Luke chapter 7. Jesus demonstrated His mercy regularly toward those who were known sinners. He demonstrated His mercy regularly toward those who were known sinners. You see it time and time again in the Gospels. It infuriated the religious leaders that Jesus was so caring toward those who were known to be violators of the law. Here in Luke chapter 7, let's start reading in verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Um, does that narrow it down for you? <laughs> doesn't narrow it down for me, because I'd be like, any woman there is going to be a sinner. Just like any man there was a sinner. But, for them, this was like a known sinner. She was like the sinner. 
Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. For she, not me, she is a sinner. He said that to himself. I wonder what his thought process was when Jesus answers his thought. <laughs> Uh-oh. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have, rightly, uh, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, what does it say? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven, or who is forgiven little, loves little. She's a sinner and you're not, Simon. That's the way you look at it, Simon. You realize this, this is a, a sinner over here. Not like me. I'm like that guy that went into the temple to pray. Fasting twice a week, giving a tenth of all I have. I'm not like that publican over there. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see the mercy extended toward a sinner? The religious community would shun her, look down upon her, want nothing to do with her, and yet Jesus... Your sins are forgiven. This is what Jesus does because this is who Jesus is. A merciful Savior to all who call upon Him. To all who come to Him. To all who recognize who He is. Look at Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. We're talking about 
God's mercy on display, very particularly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercy was on display for those who were diseased. His mercy was on display for those who were demon-possessed. His mercy was on display for those who were sinners. Matthew chapter 20. Look at verses 29 and following. It says, And as they went out of Jerusalem, verse 29 of Matthew 20, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. We don't have time for you. You're of no use to us. We don't need your blindness over here. Go grope around in the dark somewhere. Quiet down. The important people are over here. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called him and said, what do you want me to do for you? Everyone else, get out of here, kid. Nothing. We get nothing for you. Jesus, what do you need? Any difference? It's a night and day difference. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Verse 34, and Jesus in pity. That word means compassion. Jesus in his compassion touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Can you, can you just imagine? Can, can you imagine literally being in darkness? For how long? For their whole lives maybe? Someone help me? No, I don't have time for you. Get out of here. You're a waste of my time. I have other things to do. I'm in, I have important stuff and important people to see. But they hear that Jesus is coming by. They plead with Him. Show us mercy. Show us mercy. And you know what Jesus did? In His compassion, because this is who He is, He demonstrated mercy to them. Their eyes were opened. They saw, maybe for the first time ever, the beauty of all the things that God has made. And what did they decide to do? I want to be with Him. I want to follow Him. There's nothing better, and there's no one better. I want to just follow Him. You know, I don't know where you are in your journey through life. But if you've received from God through Christ mercy, and God has opened your eyes. He's taken you from blindness to sight and from death to life. Everything within you says, I want to follow Him. I want, to, I want, to, I want more of what you have to offer. I want more of that compassion. I want more of that mercy. And I want to show other people how they can come and find a merciful one like Him. Does that sound like doing acts of mercy to you? I don't think that's what this is. 
This is about receiving from God mercy. Being overwhelmed by the flood of God's mercy. I can tell you where you can find mercy, compassion, and help, and life. I know you can find it. I found him. I have found him. He has the words of eternal life. This is the mercy that we are blessed with. You know, that word there in verse 34 for pity is, is a great Greek word. I don't share Greek words with you that often anymore because some of you turn me off when I do. But it's, it's splagnizomai. Doesn't that sound like an awesome word? It has to do with being gut-wrenching. Jesus, the man, his gut was wrenched for these men who were blind and desperate. And in his compassion, in his splagnizomai, he touched them and healed them and sent them away. No, he didn't. Come on, follow me. And they followed him. Those men reside in his glory, in his presence right now, in perfect wellness and in great, perfect joy. Look at Matthew chapter 9 for a moment. We're just trying to get a little sense. We, we want... There's not a greater topic to talk about, I don't think, than God's mercy and God's love and God's grace. We're talking about mercy here and God's compassion towards sinners like me and like you. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verses 35 and 36. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. What does it say? Every disease and what? Every affliction. This is power and this is compassion. Verse 36, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These are the kinds of people that Jesus comes to. Harassed and helpless. Confused. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you understand what it's like to feel harassed and helpless and needy. Jesus is a shepherd to the shepherdless. He's a one who cares for those who have been cared for less. He's everything. So maybe it's a good question to ask. Is it just in the New Testament that God has become this loving, merciful kind of God? You know, you've got the Old Testament ogre God and the New Testament happy God. Sometimes the way that you hear people kind of, they wouldn't say it that way, but it's almost like that's how they view it. The, the, The angry God and then the good one. But there's so much more. I want to draw your attention to a couple of thoughts from the Old Testament to help encourage you about the nature of God as a merciful, compassionate God, not just in the person of Jesus Christ, but in His very nature from eternity to eternity, from uh, the beginning to the end. I want to draw your attention, it'll be on the screen, to a passage from 2 Kings. Now, 
in this passage in 2 Kings, I'll, I'll read it in just a second. In this passage in 2 Kings, there's an expression that is used to refer to a 33-year period of time under the reign of King Jehoahaz and Jehoash, kings of Israel, the northern ten tribes. 33 years, this expression fits and characterizes their reign. Ready? This is what it is. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 33 years characterized both Jehoahaz and Jehoahash. Yeah, I hope I said it right. Poor guys, I messed the names up. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now in that same passage, having captured that very clearly in the first period of time, or first paragraphs of those, that chapter, listen to this word in, in 2 Kings 13.23. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And listen to this expression. I, I just love how God captures things. And He, God, turned toward them. He turned toward them. Not one of these. Yeah, alright, I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah, I'll be merciful. You, you really messed up. You really are a shame. You really should be ashamed of yourselves. But I and my benevolence will condescend toward you and I'll give you what you need. It's not what it says. It says God was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and He turned toward them. It's like you get this picture of a father talking to his son or daughter who messed up again. And instead of all the harshness, he actually gets down and looks them in the face and says, Son, no matter what goes on, no matter what happens in this life, you can always count on this. I love you. I love you now. I love you later. I will never stop loving you. It doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with what you do. Doesn't mean all your things are right. But you can know this. I will never stop loving you. And that's what God just said in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 23. He turned toward them. And He has demonstrated it again and again and again. Even while they were in captivity because of their rebellion against Him, against God, God wrote them a letter that said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is who God is. Listen to these words from Isaiah 63.7. I will recount... I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that He has granted them according to His, what does it say? Compassion. According to the abundance. The abundance of His steadfast love. This is God talking to a rebellious people. I am for you. In Romans 8, if I am for you, who can be against you? This is who He is. He's not putting it on. 
He doesn't act this way this time and the next time some other way. This is who He is. It's His character. Look at one more passage in the Old Testament. Lamentations 3. Please, Lamentations 3. Beginning in verse 22. Just so you know, this was the longest part of the the message. Okay, so you will get to go home at some point today. Lamentations 3. Look at verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, no one said anything just now, but I'm hopeful there was an amen at least inside of you. God's merciful nature is on display from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation 22. He is merciful. It's who He is. Tracking with me for just another few minutes, God's mercy produces eternal life. God's mercy produces eternal life. Take a look at Ephesians 2 for a moment. It's an amazing thing that God does in describing our spiritual condition from birth and what He does to bring us to Himself. And if you ever want an expose on how God takes a person from death to life, spend a couple of moments or a couple of days or a couple of weeks meditating on Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. And you'll see how God takes sinners like me and gives gives us life. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 4 to begin with. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We're just like everybody else. Sinners. Just like everybody else, doing what we felt like. Doing what we wanted. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not... Your own, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can you see that mercy? You were dead, but God. He's rich in mercy. He loves us with an everlasting, unbelievable, abundant kind of love. You've been saved by grace. God says it in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us. Now, I I said it in the King James Version. He saved us in the ESV. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His 
own mercy. How did he do it? He, he washed us by regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So God gives us eternal life. God in His mercy provides eternal life. For whom? You know, who can receive this mercy that leads to eternal life? That is, this is our third concept this morning. God offers His mercy to... To whom? Do you believe that? Does God offer His mercy to all? God confirms this in one of the thickest theological sections in all of Scripture. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Some tough treading, and we've already tread through it, so we're not going to rehash it. Very difficult treading going through there. God unveils the fact that He saves people, but He also unveils the fact that He has eliminated any confidence that anyone can have in the flesh. Take a look at Romans 11 for just a moment. Romans 11, verses 30-32. through 32. Right before He gives the absolute you know, end of that section and that doxology where He just says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. Right before He gets to that beautiful section, capping an end to that theological thickness. Look at verses 30-32 through 32 of Romans 11. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that they may, by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Will you read verse 32 with me? For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have Mercy on all. Mercy on all. The offer of God's mercy is extended from sea to shining sea and not just covering one continent. As far as the east is from the west, everyone involved in that globe, God's offer of mercy goes out. God has commanded all men everywhere to what? Repent. Believe the Gospel. Trust Jesus Christ. Find Him to be a merciful Savior. You'll never, ever regret it. So God's offer of mercy is to all. This leads us to our last concept. God uses us to display His mercy. God uses us to display His mercy. Why are we talking about this? Remember back in Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, The one who shows mercy should do so with cheerfulness. It's hard not to be cheerful when talking about the mercy of God. It is hard not to be overwhelmed by how good God is when we think of His forgiveness and that forgiveness lasting forever and God's grace of giving us life that no one can take away. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives one of the several accountings of his testimony or conversion of faith. And it helps us to understand a little bit about the mercy that God has given to us to be dispensers of. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 12 through 16. 
I thank Him. Verse 12. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received what? Mercy, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of God overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this purpose that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. What is he saying? I, you know, God has called me into His service. God was faithful to appoint me. I didn't deserve it. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of Jesus. And I was a, an insolent and an obstinate opponent of God. What does a blasphemer, persecutor, and opponent of God deserve? Enmity. War. Right? I deserve war. But I got something different. I got mercy. I stood opposed to God instead of Him opposing me. And I'm going to lose that battle. Instead of God standing in opposition to me as I stood in opposition to Him. Instead of that, God demonstrated mercy. And He saved the chiefest or foremost of sinners. He did this. He poured out His mercy so that Paul and me and you, brother and sister in Christ, would be a channel of that mercy pointing people to the only One who can save their eternal soul. Pointing them to a place where mercy never is withdrawn and always is fresh and poured out. You know where to find that? It's in Jesus Christ. God has given us wisdom from above. We don't have time to look at James 3. I want to remind you of a parable that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. Our brother David read it for our Scripture reading this morning. I'm just going to read a, a section of it. It will be on the screen for us. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Stop right there for a second. So this Samaritan, the priest and the Levite already passed by saying, I, yeah, be warmed and filled. The Samaritan comes to his aid, addresses the wounds he's able to. I'll walk. You sit on my horse. You sit on my donkey. I'll walk and we'll get you somewhere you need some help. He took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. 
And whatever more you spend, whatever more you spend. I didn't give you my, my Amex card that has a, you know, the $5,000 limit. I didn't give you my, my really great credit card that has a $35,000 limit. Of course, now someone's going to try to hack me and steal my money. I didn't give you that one. No, you've got the, the carte blanche unlimited one. Whatever else he needs, take care of it. Take care of him. I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who, who do you think? Well, the man answers the one who showed him. What's the word? Mercy. That abundant care of addressing his wounds that abundant care of giving him the preferred ride, being willing to walk, set him up in an inn, and say, I got the bill. Take care of him. I'll cover it. This God equates with mercy, compassion, care, provision. And he says, yes, that's correct. Go. This This is what my disciples do. This is what my disciples do. They reflect the abundance of who I am. You know, it's pretty amazing, friends, brothers and sisters. It's pretty amazing that you and I can be channels of God's mercy. We're we're this kind of channel through the way we treat others, the way we support others others, the way we meet the needs of others, but most importantly, by trying to show others how they can experience the life-changing, eternity-changing mercy of a compassionate God. When we are flooded with wonder about our merciful Savior, No one needs to tell us to have compassion on others. That compassion spills out. And so you and I want to be in awe. In awe of the mercy we've received. That never ceases. And what will happen as God's children we will reflect His character of compassion in the way we think about others, in how we speak to one another, and how we act toward one another. This is God's work. It is a work of His Spirit to which we say, yes, Lord, help me to be that kind of a compassionate child of a compassionate God. Let's pray together. Father, You're good and kind and we love You. We love You because You first loved us. Help us to reflect You. Help us to rejoice in the mercy we've received and to reflect it to others for Your glory's sake and their good. In Jesus' name, Amen.